You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Hey, welcome back to Work and Life. I'm really glad you're here. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and of our leadership program. And I am founder also of Total Leadership, which is a management consulting and training company dedicated to helping individuals and organizations find harmony among the different parts of their lives while improving performance in all of them. It is possible, folks. Visit visit totalleadership.org for more. My guest today is Joanne Lublin, who's the author of Power Moms, How Executive Mothers Navigate Work and Life. Joanne's a regular Wall Street Journal contributor, was uh, uh, until her retirement in 2018. She still contributes to the journal. Uh, She was the management news editor there, working with reporters in the U.S. and in Europe. And in her her new book, Power Moms, she offers... uh, Great advice based on the experiences of the 86 people that she studied. And I was proud to be one of the endorsers uh, for this book because it's uh, it's such an important idea uh, with some real practical advice about how we need to create greater parity, greater equity uh, among all people, men, women, uh, to have access to the different parts of the li- their lives that, that matter to them and that they can pursue those with freedom and with support. And this book is, uh, is a step forward in that direction. Um, so, Joanne, are you, we were talking before the break about what else employers can do. Um, what, what else do you want to mention here in the brief time that we've got about what an organization could do if they want to get started now, if they haven't really thought about these issues, uh, where's, where's the right place to begin to get more progressive, more supportive as an employer for, for working mothers? Well, I think it has to happen at two different levels. It has to happen in terms of tone being set at the top, in terms of male and female top executives of the company actually walking the walk talking Mm -hmm. the talk, Mm -hmm. not just saying, you know, with glitzy recruiting website videos that we support working parents, Mm -hmm. but actually not only saying that they, that is what they do, but living those uh, provisions in terms of how they live their lives. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it has to be a bottom up kind of uh, Mm -hmm. organization You have to have ERGs, employee resource groups that are aimed at catering to the needs of employees with all kinds of backgrounds, including those of working parents. You may want to have a separate one for working mothers. Most companies, I think, have moved away from limiting it to mothers to having these be working parent groups. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the bubble up notion of those working parent groups coming up with ways of helping in particular working mothers deal better with their situation uh, is is another great approach. Uh, One of the uh, younger executive moms I interviewed when she returned from maternity leave was still nursing her newborn and was on the road because she was a management consultant. She was on the road all the time. Mm -hmm. She was, uh, you know, pumping milk and 
running through airports at the end of her four days every week on the road, carrying two suitcases, one with her clothes and one with the, the bottles of, of express milk. But sometimes she had clothing in the second suitcase and the milk leaked. Ooh. And she, yeah, and, and therefore ruined the clothes. And so she talked to one of her clients when she got back at a law firm uh, about this. And he said, well, we ship home the breast milk of our associates and partners who are traveling. After That's a good return. solution. And she thought, now there's a good solution. Mm-hmm. And they had recently started a working parents ERG at this mm-hmm. management consultancy. So she went not just to the members who all thought it was a great idea. She went to the executive sponsor of this employee resource group who happened to be a high ranking executive woman who had already had her children. Mm -hmm. And that executive sponsor became the advocate for the working parents group. And the company started out on a pilot basis on a regional level to see if this would work. It worked very well. And then they rolled it out nationwide. And then they extended it to the male partners whose wives wanted to travel with them on business trips uh, who perhaps were also nursing mothers and who either you know weren't working or weren't working somewhere where their mail could be shipped back by their employer. Hmm. Uh, and because the wives were traveling with the male management consultants, the consultancy paid to ship home the wives' mail as well. And that was a bottom-up initiated change in their benefit. Yeah, so it requires a kind of creativity and really attending to the the very practical needs that emerge that you just can't plan for. I'm sure that woman did not expect to have the problem of her clothes being ruined by leaky milk when she was thinking about having children. Um, but yeah, shit happens. Who, who, uh, who would? Who would, right? <laughs> right. So uh, I wonder if we can get back to the question of taking time off, especially the, the notion of big chunks of time like those women who decide when they have children i've been an executive i'm in my late 30s uh, i'm now having kids i want to spend time with them in their early years i'm going to take a few years off to do that mm-hmm. uh what is what do you have to say about about that model uh what makes it work what makes it derail Well, I think what makes it work is being mindful, number one, of in your own head that you want to return to work at some point and not super far down the line. Mm. Um, I I think women who stay home for 10 years have a much harder time re-entering the world of work than the women who stay home for five years or less. Okay. However long you. So there's a tipping point there that that really affects how how distant I mean, you come from the world of work. Well, it kind of depends on how connected you remain while you're away. I ah. don't think I don't think it's impossible to rejoin the workforce after being away for ten years. I just think it's harder. Um, and I think what's important is to remain involved with your professional network, however limited your energy and time is for doing that, Mm -hmm. but not get yourself totally disconnected. And to the extent you can get involved with a nonprofit while you're trying to raise your children, get involved in a way that not only takes advantage of, of your current skills, but maybe helps you develop a new skill. And 
don't look for nonprofits where they're not going to be taking advantage of either one of those categories. Mm -hmm. And the third thing to keep in mind is if you are lucky enough to work in an industry where they have an alumni program, which most of the major management consultancies do, join the alumni organization. Uh, in, in addition to your or maybe create one if there isn't one in your in your right. particular industry sector right. or your company right it's possible right. to 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 generate a community and it's a lot easier to do that these days and, and uh, in don't the give age. up right and don't give up your membership in professional organizations because mm-hmm. you know a lot of professional organizations obviously have not been able to have their conventions for the last year and have in some cases been meeting virtually I wonder as offices reopen and conferences reopen to the extent that people are going to continue to work from home, if they will be able to attend conferences still virtually. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that too is an option. Mm -hmm. Another thing to think about is when you are ready to re-enter the workforce Mm -hmm. is look for companies, whether it's the employer you used to be at or a new employer that has a returnship program. Mm -hmm. As many do. As many do and have been catching on in recent years. And the whole idea of a returnship program is it's essentially being an intern again. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're generally paid. They generally last for about a year. It's a way for you to test the waters, the employer to sort of try you out, as well as bring you up to speed on technology and other changes and advances in your particular profession or your particular area uh, that you have not been able to keep up with. And at the end of the year, everybody decides both sides, whether this is going to work. Is it working? Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, much of uh, what you've gleaned from the study naturally, because you're dealing with executives is for an elite cadre of working mothers. Uh, Are there implications for the broader workforce uh, from, from what you've observed and, and learned from your research? It brought out implications in terms of returning from work after a long. Well, generally absence. speaking, for what for what working mothers can and, and and should be doing to to succeed both at work and at home. Sure, and I think it, you're absolutely correct. Uh, this is a fairly elite group of women. Mm-hmm. These are women who got to be executives. Some cases before they had kids, and other cases after they had kids. But because they are executives with children. They have financial resources that right. the ordinary rank and file working mother does not. Right. But uh, on the other hand, working mothers all know the importance of having a village because it takes a village to raise children. It's and they all, they all understand the importance of reaching out, not just to friends and members of their professional network, but relying to the extent that they are available or interested in the extended family networks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there was this great example in the book Mm -hmm. in which this younger power mom, who is a top executive now at IBM, she and her husband were at that time, both IBM executives who were both being offered a chance to relocate to corporate headquarters in suburban New York. Mm -hmm. But it would mean they were going to have to relocate from several states away and move to suburban Connecticut where they not only knew no one, but they had no family. Mm -hmm. And she she is of Korean background. Both of her parents 
uh, emigrated from Korea uh, and were small business owners at this time. She and her husband had two little boys and she reached out to her mom and dad for guidance as to how they should handle uh, this rather what was going to be a rather difficult move. Now, you know, for a woman who is not has those financial resources, of course, she could have paid for a child care provider, but she really didn't want to go that way. And I think I know where mom. this is going. And her mother and father both offered to sell their businesses and come live with this executive and her husband and help them raise their their kids. And her husband and- was cool with that. He was. And when she asked her mother why she would be willing to essentially give up this business that she'd spent many years trying to get Mm -hmm. going, um, her mom said, because your son is rising and my son is setting. I love that metaphor. And I can relate directly to it as a grandfather. Um, So that's it's fascinating to to hear uh, of that tale. And I'm sure you heard others like it. Let me just remind listeners, this is Working Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. I'm speaking with Joanne Lublin. She is the author of Power Moms, How Executive Mothers Navigate Work and Life. One of the really interesting things about your study, Joanne, is that you talk to the daughters of the boomer executive moms. What did you learn from them? Well, it's interesting because, of course, I also, separate from those 25 daughters, I also interviewed my own daughter, Mm -hmm. Abra, who was that that toddler who was screaming, mommy, don't go, mommy, don't go. Mm. And so the 25 daughters of the, the boomer moms uh, came to their experience with different uh, reactions. Many of them uh, feel a great deal of respect and admiration for all that their boomer moms not only had to fight against in terms of uh, stereotypes and resistance uh, for trying to combine life and work, mm-hmm. but also a great deal of admiration for how much their moms had achieved in terms of becoming highly successful executives in the business world. However, this, yeah, and then however is coming. A number of those adult daughters don't want to be just like mom because they saw how stressful it was for her to be a trailblazer, how demanding it was in particular for those who were public company CEOs and how much the the moms had to travel. At the same time, I was really shocked to discover that many issues that the mothers who are boomer moms are still giving themselves guilt trips about didn't bother the daughters in the least. There was this great example, which uh, I never actually had room for to put in the book, where the boomer mom has to go out of town for an offsite meeting with her team. Mm-hmm. And she realizes she's going to be not at home on the day of her daughter's 11th or 12th birthday, because it's going to be a Wednesday and she'll be many states away. And she's feeling so badly that she makes everybody in the room participate in a conference call and they call the daughter and sing happy birthday to her. But, But the mother is home for the party because as every working mother knows, irrespective of what their job status is, you have the birthday parties on the weekends. You don't have them during the week. And so when a, 
when I said to the daughter, what do you remember about that particular birthday? She said, oh, well, I remember as always, it was held on Saturday. And as always, mom made a really special cake and we had a blast. And I said, really, you don't remember that your mom was like away on the Wednesday when your actual birthday happened? And it's now 15 years later and she's still agonizing over it. And the daughter said, nope, no recollection of that. So what does that tell us about uh, the current generation, the rising generation of, of women executives about how they're different than their mothers and and you know what they learn from seeing their mother's uh, triumphs and tribulations? Well, I think what it tells us is that that younger wave of executive moms, because they have benefited from the trailblazing that the boomer moms have done, that they are going to probably be less judgmental and dictatorial towards insisting that their daughters do exactly what they did. I, again, some of those uh, boomer moms had daughters who were being highly influenced by their moms to go to the same college and major in the same field and enter the same profession. Uh, and the daughters didn't like that. But at the same time, I think the executives in the younger wave benefited greatly from having hugely influential mothers, whether they were stay-at-home moms or not. And what I thought was the most telling conclusion I drew from the adult daughters of the boomer moms is that when they got out of college, when they were entering the workforce, suddenly they viewed their boomer moms through a different framework because now she was someone who knew how to navigate the world of work, who knew how to network, who could open doors, who could make introductions, who could critique how they did their role playing for the job interview, who could revise their LinkedIn profile, who could give them advice when it came time to raise their hand for a promotion or apply for a new job. And suddenly it wasn't mom, the interferer, the one telling me what to do with my life. It was mom, their secret weapon, AKA my special career coach. So <laughs> that, that's, that's a, uh, invaluable asset, of course. Um, what, what advice then do you have for the working mothers today in terms of how they interact with their daughters? What, 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 what wisdom do you glean from your study about that question that I'm sure many of our listeners uh, are wrestling with themselves? Well, I think, number one, it's important to raise feminist daughters and feminist sons. Mm -hmm. Number two, I think it's important to be an empathetic listener throughout your daughter's childhood and to recognize that she is going to want at some point to carve her own way through the wilderness. And she may not be willing to either take your advice or listen at moments that you think are really critical for her to do so. And so that may be the time that you then want to introduce her to another working mom mm. who is perhaps the mother of one of her BFFs, but who has also been very successful in her career and who she perhaps might be more willing to listen open to. to hearing from. Right. BFF, by the way, for those of you who don't know that phrase, that term, it's best friends forever, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? But that other mother may be someone who is 
at the same job level or experience yeah. or mindset as you, but is someone who your daughter may be more interested in listening to, which is why mm. several of those adult daughters I interviewed said when their own friends saw how useful their mother was that, you know, they essentially had to lend her out to their friends to be their informal career coach. What a nice thing for the uh, boomer mom to be in that, in that role. Uh, right. Well, so we're, we're nearing the end of our time together here. What What is your great hope uh, and expectation for uh, for your your grandchildren in terms well, of their their careers and and how those are going to unfold? What do you foresee as you look to the you know, decades ahead? Well, I have three grandchildren. One is turning ten. One is turning three, and one later this summer will be turning eight and uh, two girls and, and a boy. And my expectation and hopes for all three of them is that they will be able to grow up in a world in which we have less unconscious bias in terms of role expectations for men and women alike, particularly when it comes to parenthood. And to the extent that we have a more fair and equitable society, and whether it's terms of gender or race issues, it's one in which all three of them can be their true, fulfilled selves. Yeah, that's uh, that's an aspiration that I share, and uh, that um, I'm I'm very glad to have your wisdom about here on the show and in this wonderful book. Uh, you've got these uh, ten things to do um, uh, that help working mothers ditch the guilt. I'd be remiss if we didn't ask you to just identify maybe one of those, perhaps your favorite, uh, that um, that people can use right now. Well, I'd say of the 10 that my most favorite one is to accept our imperfections. And rather than give ourselves big, hard guilt trips over what we're not doing, look at life as the glass half full. And the greatest example of that was cited by one of the boomer moms, who, by the way, is the one who suggested the chapter. And so you're now sitting down to dinner with your supportive spouse and your young children. And once again, you're not sitting down to dinner until seven o'clock because you had a deadline for work. Rather than give yourself a big hard time over, oh, my gosh, it's seven o'clock and we're not yet eating. Celebrate the fact that guess what? I'm getting to eat with my family. And isn't it wonderful? Mm. And I'm not perfect. And that's okay. Mm. It, it takes some measure of uh, uh, insight and courage, I would say, though, to be able to reach that point um, when you're surrounded by all kinds of signals that tell you you should feel guilty. So can you just go a little further on that in terms of what what people can do, what mothers can do to find that uh that courage that freedom to accept the imperfections and 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 their own fallibility and perhaps living up to an ideal that is impossible well i i think it's just a matter of reiterating that that message to yourself and the irony is i i, I did a program very recently in which i preached this message about you know, don't feel guilty because once again, it's seven o'clock and you haven't sat down to dinner yet. And the host of the show, as she ended it, said, 
well, I have to wrap things up because I need to go make dinner. And yeah, we're eating really late again tonight. And I said, excuse me, didn't we just talk about didn't you just that? hear me? <laughs> and she said, yes, I guess I have to carve that in my brain yeah. to not let myself fall back into those old traps. Well, the, because frankly, working, right? yeah, working mother guilt, it's a total waste of energy. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many working dads have interviewed me like you're doing and working grandfathers. And when I say to them, do you experience working father guilt? And they say, no, you know, there have been times where I came late to Johnny's baseball game and he already hit the home run. But I felt bad in the moment. But did I agonize over it for hours afterwards? No. Did my wife agonize over it for hours afterwards? Yes. That'll be the day, right? When uh, when dads and, and moms share in, in the uh, sense of responsibility and, and uh the the mental space that's taken by worries and guilt about doing what they need to do to be the parents they want to be. Uh, Joanne Lublin, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. How can people find out more about your book and, and your work? Well, the best way is to check out my website, which is www.joannelublin.com. It has six easy clicks that you can go to if you would like to order the book from Mm -hmm. one of your favorite online retailers. I'm agnostic. I do not only endorse ordering from Amazon. And anyone who orders a hardback version of the book and lets me know that they've done so and provides me a mailing address, I would be happy to send them a personalized autograph book plate. Peel off the sticker and stick it in your book. Cool. That's wonderful. Thank you again for doing this work and for uh, sharing your wisdom about Power Moms with our audience today. Really appreciate it, Joanne. You're welcome. And thank you for listening and joining our conversation. As a listener, don't forget to tune in next week at 5 p.m. Eastern. If you have a question about something you heard on today's show, just email me, friedman at wharton.upenn.edu and our station, Business Radio at SiriusXM.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business. I am at Stu Friedman. And you can find edited versions of our podcasts free at totalleadership.org, where you can also find all kinds of other free resources, videos, book chapters, articles, and more. Thanks to Patty Hall, our producer, and to our sound engineer, Chris Tooks. I'm Stu Friedman. You've been listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.